We'll just uh, look at our reading before Luke comes up. It's taken from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. God has put eternity in the hearts of mankind. We're told in Ecclesiastes that that God has sown eternity into our hearts. And uh, when God was designing us, when God was knitting us together, when he was putting us together, there was no part of God, there was no part of our Father that was sitting there going, there will be a full stop on, on mankind's lives. That wasn't his purpose for us. That wasn't his intention. Um, we are created, we are intended um, to live forever. We are intended to be eternal beings. Um, and we are in this culture, we are in this, in this time where we are so focused on, on time. We are so focused on the fact that we have a full stop. We're so focused on age. Um, and the truth is that we are people who will live forever. We are people who are eternal. There is no full stop. There is no moment where we will finish. Our lives will continue to go on and on and on. Um, and that is the most beautiful thing in the world, right? Yeah? Like we should be really, really excited about that. Um, we live in a culture that's dictated by time. Uh, if you were on any sort of social media this week, you would have seen the face app um, that was going around everywhere. Has there, anyone seen that? Yeah, anyone done it? few people giving all your information to uh to some shady people my friends but the face that went around it was very big basically you put your your face um and uh in this app and it takes a does a little bit of work for some of you might have to do a lot of work for some of you maybe not so much work and it puts a, a picture of of us 50 years in the future and um and anyway andrew decided to do it for a bunch of us and and I think I came up all right. Um, I, uh, I'm not going to show you the photo, but I did all right. But uh, Bowl didn't do so good. So, um, but there was this, this picture that's drawn out and people are just fascinated with this idea, aren't we? Like we're fascinated with this, 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 this idea that we will age. We do get older. Time does catch up to us. We are in this cycle of inevitability where we get older and older and days go by and we get stuck in these mundane rhythms and we get stuck in these habits and these, you know, we go to work, we finish work, we come home, we um, hang out with our family, we hang out with our grandkids and we repeat the cycle. And we are in a, in a, in a, a season and we are in an age where I don't think there's a lot of hope. I don't think the culture that we, we are in um, possesses a lot of hope. Um, and so we are people who carry the Spirit of God. We are people who have had eternity marked on our hearts where there will be no full stop for us. Death has no sting for us because um, our Saviour, our Messiah, the one that we follow, the one that we put our hope and our trust in, has paid the price for us and paved a way where we will live for eternity. 
where we will live out the purposes that God has had from creation in our lives for eternity. And uh, as, a, as a feast group, as a, um, as a small group, we've been studying um, this idea of heaven. We've been looking at what heaven will be like. We've been looking at and thinking through um, practically what will heaven be like? What will it be like when in this, in this earth, on the, in, this, um, in this world, in this life, our heart stops and our body ceases to function and the next life begins? What will that actually be like? And so our small group's been looking at a, a book called All Things New by um, an author called John Eldridge. And if, you, uh, if you've read any of John Eldridge's work, um, he's an incredible writer. He's really, in many ways, a simple writer, but he's a really good, good author. And he basically takes, takes you on a journey in this book um, about imagining what heaven will be like, um, thinking through the practicalities of what will heaven be like. Because C.S. Lewis had the, had the um, incredible idea that the more we think about the next life, the more we are caught up in what will be normal in the cultures of heaven, the more of an impact we will have in the, in the here and now, in the everyday, in the mundane um, areas of our life. The more that we are fixated on heaven, the more that we are fixated on what will be normal there, the more that we will be um, encouraged to usher in that in the here and now. And in John Eldridge's book, he talks um, a lot about the idea that we are ushering in the cultures of heaven in the here and now. We are not waiting to get to heaven. We are called to usher in the new heavens and the new earth um, in 2019 in the world that we live in, in our families, in our cultures, in our city, um, in our workplaces. We are called to usher in the cultures of heaven. And he goes on to say that there's a, a particular verse that's really important for us as Christians, and it's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Um, and, it, and it says, "All and these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And John Eldridge talks about the fact that these are the three pillars, these are the three cultures, these are the three things that will remain for eternity. And everything that we do in the here and now that is around those lenses of faith, hope, and love will be the things that remain for all eternity. These are the investments that we are called to put everything into. These are the things that we are called to outwork with every aspect of our lives, with everything, all the parts of our being, with all the passion that we have. These are the things that we are called to invest in. These are the things that we are called to outwork because these are the things that will last forever. And we live in a time where um, there is so little hope. We live in a time where there is so little hope because I believe there's so little um, belief and so little understanding and such a small picture of what is to come. We're so fixated and so stuck on what is right in front of us. We lose sight of what is um, the grand narrative of what God is doing. And so we are beginning a series now on, on discipleship, discipling in, in the book of Mark. And really simply, the idea of being a disciple is being someone who follows um, in the New Testament, we read about the disciples and, and they were disciples because God, Jesus, called them um, and they followed. He called them to follow him and they picked up whatever they, they, they left, whatever they were doing, and they, they followed him. And one of the things I want to start this series with is, is, this, is this profound and really simple idea that we are called um, to follow God. We are called to follow him. And what we're called to then do in that is to outwork the cultures of heaven um, in the here and now, to take what is normal in heaven and then to outwork that in the here and now in all aspects of our lives. 
And as we follow, what will become normal in our lives will be something then that we outwork in the world in which we live. And so the faith that we carry, the hope that we carry, the love that we carry that Jesus is imparting in our lives on a daily basis because of the relationship that he has with us and we have with him will become normal cultures in the world that we live in, in all the areas of our lives that we are called into. The better that we are at following will be the better that we are at outworking these cultures and outworking heaven in the life in which we live. And so our job as followers of Jesus, our job as a family as we gather here, our job as a family, as a church, is to encourage each other to follow, is to encourage each other to look upwards, to cast our gaze upon Jesus, to enjoy God um, in all of his fullness, in all of his beauty, in all of his character. Our job is to spur each other on in that. Our job is to encourage each other. Our job is to speak life over each other. Our job is to help each other to cast our gaze upon him in a world that sees so um, such a temporary view of life. Our job is to encourage each other in the eternal, is to encourage each other in what will be normal in heaven and then outworking that in the here and now. Our job is to encourage each other to enjoy God, to be satisfied in him. And one of the things that God's been teaching me in this, and I think this is pivotal when we're talking about the idea of being a disciple, of following God, um, is this really simple idea that in this life, we either listen to the opinions and voices of man or we listen to the voice of our Father. And if you look at some of the central themes throughout all of Scripture, that one is one of the key ones throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that just keeps flowing over and over and over. Are we people who base our identity, who base who we are on the opinions of those around us, on the opinions of people, on the opinions of culture? Or do we live lives that are shaped by our Father's voice? Discipleship in the New Testament, discipleship for the the disciples, is this simple idea that, that they followed, that they listened they listened to their rabbi. Jesus was a, a rabbi in the New Testament. I looked at this a few months ago. Jesus was a rabbi in the New Testament. And, and really simply what he did is he called 12 very ordinary men, 12 people who had dropped out of school, 12 people who were not the, the top of the top. And he called these men and he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And all 12 of them came and they followed Jesus. And the idea was that a disciple would take on their rabbi's ways of life. They would take on their rabbi's mind. They would take on their rabbi's heart. The things that were normal for the rabbi would become normal for his disciples in all aspects of life. And as we follow in this life, that's what we are doing, right? We are taking on the heart of our father. The things that are normal for Jesus, the more that we follow him, the more that we allow him to speak into our life, the more that we keep in step with the spirit, the more that he changes us. The more that we take on the mind of our rabbi, the more that we take on the, the, the heart of our rabbi. And as we do that, we take on his mandate for the world to preach the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release prisoners from darkness, to proclaim the Lord's favour. As we follow, we get caught up in the dust of our rabbi and we take on what is normal for him 
and that becomes normal in our lives, in all areas of our lives. For Jesus, his normal is heaven. For Jesus, his normal is all creativity, all authority, all beauty. That's his normal. And we are called to carry what he carries and to outwork that in the world in which we live. His normal is faith. His normal is hope. His normal is love. He's the very definition of those things. And we are called to take on our Father's heart for the world in which we live and to outwork his heart and his mind. One of my friends has a saying, and it's a, it's a really good one. He says, we leak what we carry. If we carry bitterness, that is what we will leak in all aspects of our life. If we carry hatred, that is what we will leak. If we carry jealousy, we will leak that. If we carry love, if that is what is at the core of who we are, then we won't be able to hide it. We will leak it in all relationships, in all areas of our life. And the truth is, if we have accepted Jesus into our life, we are sitting here as people who are eternal and we are sitting here as people who carry the Spirit of God. We are not just flesh and blood just sitting here. Every single one of us carries the Spirit of God in all His authority, in all His grace, in all His beauty. All of us carry the Spirit of God as we sit here. As we sit in this room in Dural in 2019, coming off whatever weeks that we have had, we sit here as people who carry the Spirit of God. We sit here in a room. We are not alone. We are not just physical um, beings just sitting on our chairs and being here. There are angels all around us. There are things that are unseen that are all around us and we carry the Spirit of God. The question is, do we have the faith to understand and to believe that in all areas of our life? But We leak what we carry and we carry the Spirit of God and the Spirit carries heaven and the cultures that come with it. Life and life to the full. No more death, no more tears, no more crying, no more decay. We carry joy, joy and peace and comfort and laughter. We carry this idea of renewal where God is taking all things that are old and, and rusty and broken and he is making them new. That is what we carry as followers of Jesus. And what the Spirit wants to do is the Spirit wants to heal those that are in pain. He wants to bring joy to those who are in sadness. He wants to give hope to those who are depressed. He wants to heal those who are sick. He wants to give purpose to those who are bored. And so if it is true, everything that I've said this morning, if it's true, then the world that we live in should look radically different because we are a part of it. The world should look radically different. And our little worlds that we are in, the little communities that we are in, the families that we are in, they should look radically different because when we walk into a room, we are not walking by ourselves. We are not just flesh and blood walking into our room. We carry the Spirit of God, the author of life, the perfecter of all things into any room that we walk into. The question is, do we believe that we carry that? The world should look radically different because we carry the Spirit of God and we are leaking the cultures of heaven, of faith, hope and love wherever we go. I heard a story this week that just put this into perspective so, so well for me. Because as we look at this idea of discipleship, one of the things that we can fall into a trap in is that we think about discipleship as being this internal thing where we want to encourage each other. We want to help each other to gaze upon Jesus. And so um, we, we just make it completely um, focused on what we do here, what we do on a Sunday, what we do in our small groups. And, 
And discipleship is this idea that it's internal. A mission is this idea that's external, what we, how we go outwards. But when we do discipleship, it's the same thing. Um, when we disciple each other, what we are doing is encouraging each other to follow. And as we do that, we start to take heart, uh, the heart that God has for the world in which we live. And as we start to take the heart that God has for this world, we start to take his heart for people. And we can't help but naturally overflow the love that he has for people and mankind. We can't naturally, we can't help but start to carry that heart for the people around us. We can't help but start to have the eyes that he has for the world in which we live. And all of a sudden, the cultures that we live in should change. They should be shifted. They should be discipled. They should be um, encouraged to cast their gaze upon Jesus. And I heard this story this week, and it was one of the most was beautiful story. And it was um, one of my really good mates. He, um, he just started as, uh, as the senior pastor down at, at Hornsby. And he told me this story this week um, in, the, <laughs> in the first week of, of him being a senior pastor. Um, they, uh, they had a, a guy who, um, who passed away. And this guy's name was Dougie. And Dougie was um, a guy who had spent years and years at Hornsby Shopping Centre and he carried this sign with him. He had a huge beard down here um, and he carried a sign with him. And he, he wasn't homeless um, but he, he, he was borderline, borderline homeless. So um, he'd, been, he'd been looked after a bit um, but basically he was a, a Hornsby local legend and would sit at Hornsby with this sign. And the sign said three jokes for a dollar. And so what he was really good, Dougie was really good at just talking to people. He was really relational. This is a guy who had walked all around Australia um, and just walked around different communities getting to know people. And he just had this real heart, I'm told, for just people and just conversations. And he would talk to anyone. And this guy, Dougie, he, um, he, he, everyone in Hornsby knew him. And, uh, and everyone would go and spend time with him. They'd sit with him at Hornsby. He was always in the same spot. He always had his trolley and his sign and they'd go and sit and spend time with this guy. And, uh, and Dougie passed away. And, um, and my, my mate, Josh, he, he, Dougie had gone to their church um, a fair few times. And so my mate, Josh, decided that, that what they'd do is they'd run this, um, this, uh, this, this wake for Dougie, um, this, this opportunity um, for people in Hornsby to come and be able to just share stories and celebrate the life of Dougie. And so what they did is in Hornsby Shopping Centre, uh, if you know Hornsby Shopping, Shopping Centre, outside near the fountain, they just had this, this memorial service. And basically, he, my, my mate Josh, he put this on and he's sitting there really nervous. He's saying, he, th- he thinks no one will come to it. Um, there might be, you know, he's got a handful of people he's teed up from church to come and, you know, be there. But he's like, I don't know if anyone's going to come. And as he gets there, he just starts to see people flood in from Hornsby. And, and he told me there's about 100, 150 people who come and gather um, to celebrate this guy. And he said some of them were Christians, so many of them weren't. And so what we did is we, we got there and we, we talked about Dougie, we preached the gospel. Um, and he, he said, look, I teed up a bunch of my friends to get up and share about Dougie. Um, but what I did is I, I just opened it up to everyone to be able to, to share. And I just said, look, if you want to share about Dougie's life, this is a great opportunity. And so he teed up all these people, five people to get up and share about Dougie. Um, and in the end, none of those five were even able to get up because person after person got up to share about this guy's life. And, um, and one of the stories he told me was hilarious. He said there was a guy from, from JB Hi-Fi who he'd been working at JB Hi-Fi and the guy said, look, he got up in front of, um, in front of this, uh, this, this group and he said, look, 
I'm a terrible employee. I've worked at, at JB Hi-Fi for a long time and look, I'm not a good employee. And uh, he told this story about how he'd been working at JB Hi-Fi and his manager had, uh, had called him in for a disciplinary um, meeting. And, um, and this, this guy um, was sharing this story about how um, his manager said, look, do you want a support person? We can get one, another one of the staff to come in for this meeting. And, uh, and this guy said, no, I, I don't want a support person from JB Hi-Fi. I know who I'm going to go get. And so in front of this crowd at, at Dougie's um, memorial service, he shares this story about how he'd gone and spent like two or three times a day, he would go and have his smoko break, he'd go and have his lunch break with Dougie. They'd spend, you know, half an hour a day, an hour a day just, just hanging out and just doing life together. And um, and he said to his manager, I don't I don't want a support person from JB Hi-Fi. I want a, I want Dougie. So he goes out and he gets this guy and he brings in this in Dougie and Dougie is just there for him just just in this moment of a great crisis for this guy. There's this guy Dougie who was just relationally present and just there. And my mate Josh said it was the most um, incredible moment that he's had because he sat there in this celebration of this guy's life and about 150 people were sitting there and they all got the opportunity to cast their gaze upon Jesus because of the way this guy had lived. He hadn't lived a normal box life. He'd lived a very different life. He had a huge personality. Um, But in this moment, in this really raw moment, uh, my friend Josh was able to um, help a group of 100, 150 people to cast their eyes upon Jesus. And what he did in that moment was disciple a community, a very diverse community in the goodness of God, in what cultures of heaven will be like. And he told me that as as he's done this over the past weeks, he's had people come um, and accept Jesus. He's had people come to their church who had never gone to church before. And just this incredible moment where a group of faith-filled people went out into their community and they discipled their community to follow um, and to point be pointed towards Jesus through the life of quite an incredible and quite a diverse individual. And I thought that story was, was really beautiful because what Josh did is he helped his community just to gaze upwards in a moment that you wouldn't expect a community to do so. So what we're doing over the, over the coming sort of 10 weeks is we are looking at the book of Mark. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to just be learning from Jesus. We're just going to be listening to our Father's voice. We're just going to be sitting in what He has for us. We live in a time where there is so much noise, there is so much information. We have um, instruments in our pocket that allow us to get more information (laughs) and more insight into what is going on in the world than there has ever been. We live in a time where we can fill our minds and flood our minds with so much nonsense and so much useless information that actually will not increase our joy or increase our purpose or help us to understand what we are doing here or fill our hearts with a deeper sort of love. We live in a time where it's so easy to fill our minds with all this stuff. And one of the things that's so important for us to do is to slow down and to stop and to listen to the voice of Jesus. Jesus gives us a crystal clear perspective of who we are, of what our purpose is and what brings us joy. And so what we're doing is we're going to look at Mark's gospel and we're going to look at a bunch of passages and a bunch of stories that are focused on what it looks like to follow Jesus, to grow in who he is and have a vision for the world in which we live. 
Mark's gospel is um, in many ways the most simple of the four gospels. Um, his point is really simple. If you look at the different gospels, there's things that the different writers bring in and, and some of them leave out. And one of the things to remember as these guys tell the stories of who Jesus is, is they're very, very deliberate in what they do um, say and what they don't say. There are things that Mark says in his gospel that Luke doesn't say. But for the most part, Mark's gospel is much more simple than Luke's and Matthew's. And they think Luke's and Matthew's gospel were written on the, on the back of what Mark had written. John's gospel is just completely, he, he can do his own thing. He's, uh, do, he's on another journey. Um, but, but Matthew and Luke, they, they focus very heavily on what Mark has written. And it's really important to understand as we look at this, um, this series that Mark had a crystal clear vision for what he was trying to communicate. He was trying to communicate that Jesus is the Messiah. He was the hope, that he was the promised deliverer. You see, he was living in a time where Jesus had died, he'd been killed on a cross, and the cross was the perfected means of execution for the Romans. It was an instrument of shame, it was an instrument of torture. Um, what it was meant to do was prolong death, put criminals in front of everyone and say, don't live like this, look at how they end up. Um, it was an instrument of shame. And so what what Mark's purpose is in everything that he is doing is to point people towards the fact that Jesus was the Messiah that was promised throughout all of the Old Testament. He is the hope. He is the promised deliverer. He didn't come to conquer Rome like so many of the Jews thought their Messiah was going to come. He came to paint a global vision of what it looked like to redeem the world. And so as we start this series off, I want to look at one passage um, that John Piper says is the most important passage about Christian discipleship or following Jesus in all of the New Testament. In Mark 8, we read, Then he called to the crowd to come along with his disciples. And he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very soul? When I was about 18, this passage changed my life. For about two or three years, this was the key passage in my life and I studied it, I thought about it, I reflected on it and it absolutely changed the way I thought about this life. Um, growing up as a teenager, I had an uh, inclination um, towards pride, I had an inclination towards arrogance. And um, this passage helped me to flip life on its head. It helped me to understand the priority of what humility is. It helped me to understand that the path that we take as followers of Jesus is radically different to the path that people who don't follow Jesus take. So the first line in this, in this passage says this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so we're told in this first line, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, it's at the very core of what discipleship is. In Mark 2 verse 13, we read the call of Levi, who then turns out to be Matthew, given a new name. And in 2 verse 14, we read this, as he walked along, he, Jesus saw Levi um, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and he followed him. So Levi was a tax collector, and we've all heard stories about what tax collectors were like in the New Testament. These were people who were not ushering in the kingdom of heaven. Um, the idea of a tax collector is they worked for the Romans, and they were a middleman between the Romans and the Jews. 
what they would do is they would pay their taxes for their where they were responsible, the area and the people they were responsible for, they would take, pay their taxes up front to the Romans. And then what they would do is spend the rest of their time, the rest of their year going around and collecting the taxes from their people. And for them to make money, and they would make a lot of money, they would raise the taxes on their own people. So they were hated by the Jews. They were looked down upon by the Jews. Um, and they formed little communities and little groups amongst themselves. Um, so they were very wealthy, but they were very isolated. And so Jesus sees this man, Levi, and he walks up to him and he calls Levi, someone who is isolated, someone who has been tur- who's turned against his own people, someone who is shamed in his community, someone who is described as, uh, as a sinner. And Jesus walks up to him and he says, follow me. And we're told that Levi gets up really simply, and follows him. In Luke, we're told that Jesus says that he needs to leave behind everything that he has gathered, everything that he has has worked for, leave it behind and come and follow me. But the beautiful thing, the most simple thing, and this is what Bonhoeffer talks about so much in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, the most beautiful thing about following Jesus is the simplicity of it. Jesus says to Levi, a man that was broken, a man that was sinful, he says, come and follow me. And Levi gets up and he follows him. He gets up and he follows Jesus. Sometimes we carry this idea with God and this idea with Jesus where we feel that we have to get ourselves right before we go and follow the Messiah, before we go and follow Jesus. We feel we have to get our house in order. We feel we have to get certain sins right. We feel we have to wash ourselves before we can follow the rabbi that is calling us, the God that is calling us. And the radical aspect of the gospel, the radical aspect of the good news, the radical thing that we are all doing here is that we are not people who are able to do this by ourselves. We are not people who are able to claim grace for ourselves. We are not people who are able to wash ourselves. Jesus is the one that did did that for us. The thing that unites all of us is that when Jesus called us, we are people who got up and we followed. We listened to his voice and we followed. And what he then does is takes the old life and fills us with a new life. He he lavishes his grace upon us and his grace is sufficient for us. And so we, we sit here as people who are reborn. We sit here as people who carry the spirit of God. But we carry the spirit of God because we have got up like Levi and we have followed our saviour. His grace transforms us and then over time, um, bit by bit, we become more and more like our saviour, like our rabbi, like our father. Grace transforms us. And so as we look at discipleship in this series, the thing I want us to remember is that we are people who are called to usher in heaven now. We are called to usher in faith, hope and love in 